Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Tonight, our study is bringing us to the 16th chapter of Revelation. This chapter depicts the greatest outpouring of God's wrath that this world will ever experience. Today we live in an age of grace. We see very little of God's wrath and judgment. In fact, sometimes we wonder why the wicked prosper, why the righteous seem to suffer, much as the situation we're seeing going on over in Iran. As someone had mentioned, why do these evil governments seem to prosper? The reason is we live in an age of grace. Therefore, His mercy and His grace are prominent. God's wrath and God's judgment are in the background. But you can be certain. Revelation clearly teaches that a day is coming when God's wrath and His judgment will come into the forefront. And our study of Revelation has clearly shown us that during the seven years of tribulation and immediately preceding the tribulation, God is going to pour out His wrath on the unregenerate, Christ-rejecting world in an unprecedented way. Uh, The wrath of God will come in three separate stages each expressing a greater intensity of God's divine wrath. You will remember we have looked at two of these already. The first stage, you remember, the seven seals of God's wrath. This immediately precedes the tribulation. These seals set the stage for the Antichrist, and they bring us to the seven years of tribulation. We saw those in chapter 6 of Revelation. The second stage of God's wrath is depicted as seven trumpets that are blown. Now, these will happen, I believe, in the first five or six years of the tribulation. Again, they express an even greater outpouring of God's wrath than the seals did. Remember, though, God protects His people from the trumpets of wrath. We saw them preserved, purchased, and protected. Now, the third stage, the most intense expression of God's wrath, are the seven bowls of God's wrath. They occur in the last years of the tribulation, perhaps even in the seventh year of the tribulation. These bowls of God's wrath complete His work in human history as we know it. God uses these seven bowls of wrath to bring history to its consummation. But we need to remember, as with the trumpets of God's wrath, God protects His people from these bowls of His wrath. He preserves us through and uh, these divine judgments. All right? Now, let's take our Bibles, and we're in Revelation chapter 16, uh, as we pick up the scriptures concerning the bowls of wrath. 
Let me read these and then we'll go back and look at them. All right, now, let me point out to you four things about these bowls of God's wrath, four observations before I read the chapter and then you can notice them. First, there is a resemblance to some of the plagues of Egypt, of the Exodus. You'll notice that, some similarities. There are also some resemblances to the trumpets of God's wrath. Thirdly, there's a big difference as well, though. These are universal. The other, the seals and the trumpets, were more localized, like a third of the earth uh, or a fourth of the people. Also, these are final. The wrath of God is finished with these as we saw. And then the fourth observation is that God is still calling people to repentance through these judgments. Even though they are a mighty outpouring of the wrath and judgment of God, mercy and grace are not absent. God is still using these to call people back to Repentance. And I notice those as we read, beginning in chapter 16, verse 1. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the seven bowls of the wrath of God into the earth. And the first angel went and poured out his bowl into the earth, and it became a loathsome and malignant sore upon the men who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became blood like that of a dead man, and every living thing in the dead sea, excuse me, in the sea died. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the water saying, Righteous are you who are and who were, O Holy One, because you judged these things. For they poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. And the fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun, and as it was given to it to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with fierce heat. They blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues, and they did not repent so as to give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his bowl upon the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became darkened, and they gnawed their tongues because of pain. And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. And the sixth angel poured out his bowl upon the great river, the Euphrates, and its waters were dried up that the way might be prepared for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are spirits of demons, performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his garments. They see walk about naked, and men see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Armageddon. 
And the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air, and the loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. There were the great earthquake, such as there has not been since man came upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it, and so mighty. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. A huge hailstones and 100 pounds, about 100 pounds each came down from heaven upon men, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hell, because its plague was extremely severe. All right, first bowl of God's wrath. We saw in verses 1 and 2, malignant sowers. As the first angel poured his bowl of God's wrath, there appears on men and women loathsome and malignant sowers. Now this reminds us of the boils of the sixth plague of Egypt. Now the word loathsome carries the idea of vexing, troublesome, an annoying sores. And the word sore means ulcer. So these Christ-rejecting people will have vexing, ulcerated, annoying sores on their bodies. It will appear on all those who do not have, excuse me, all those who have taken the mark of the beast and who have worshipped His image. Again, we see God letting us know that He's separating His people from this awful plague, that His people will be protected. As He protected them from the boils in Egypt, He will protect them here. But all those who are Christ-rejecting will suffer from these malignant sores. Now just imagine how terrible it will be. Even though we live in an age of miracle drugs, there will be no cure for these sores, for these ulcerated places. You know, one of the most dreaded diseases of our day is cancer. No words can quite strike terror into the human heart as the words of a doctor who says, I'm sorry, but the biopsy showed a malignancy. Now, this plague will make cancer a welcome relief. Imagine the, the stench and the disfiguration of those malignant sores that will eat at one's flesh. The ulcers will grow larger and larger. Uh, nothing but raw flesh exposed. Uh, we have seen bed sores and maybe you have witnessed how horrific they can be. But we're talking about much worse even than that. That's the first bowl of God's wrath. Second the sea becomes blood. And the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became blood like that of a dead man, and every living thing in the sea died. You remember the first plague in Egypt? He turned the Nile River into blood. But And even in the second trumpet, we saw a third of the sea turned into blood. But with this bowl, all the sea, becomes blood. All that is blue becomes red. Notice it says blood as that of a dead man. 
what happens to blood? It coagulates. So we're talking about the oceans becoming thick and and not uh, as fluid as we know them now. Uh, but probably because of the death of all the marine life and all that, it's really going to become a soupy mess. Uh, and all things it says that live in the sea died. Imagine the stench. Imagine how gross that will be. Uh, that's the second bowl of God's wrath. Third, the rivers and springs become blood. And the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of the waters, and they became blood. Now again, the third trumpet, only a third of the streams become bitter and poison. But with this, there's no such limitation. All the rivers and the streams, all the fresh water becomes blood. Hence, it will be undrinkable. And people will begin to die of thirst. They will become so thirsty, it says they will even drink the blood. The bloody water. Now remember, in some way, God's going to supernaturally provide for His people. Even like He did with Elijah in the wilderness. As the, the, as the bird the, brought the raven, brought the food and... And even as he did through the widow's flour and oil, even as he provided manna in the wilderness and water from the rock for the nation of Israel there, he's going to provide for his people in some supernatural way. Now notice an angel proclaims God's righteousness and justice are finally being vindicated. Verse 5, And I heard the angel of the water saying, Righteous are you who are and who were. O Holy One, because you judge these things. Again, God's righteousness and God's holiness demands His judgment. God is only giving them what they deserve. Since they have killed and murdered the people of God, they have spilled the blood of God's people, it is only right that they now be given blood to drink. And that is what this angel is proclaiming. For they poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. There's a sense of, of, of justice in this. There's a sense of, of irony in it. There's a sense of, of poetic justice. They had murdered and caused the blood of the saints to flow, and now they're given blood to drink. Now we also hear the cries coming from the altar in verse 7. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Now we heard some voices earlier in the book of Revelation coming from the altar. Remember those? They were from the martyred saints in chapter 6 of Revelation, where they said, How long, O Lord, holy and true, Will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? You remember what they're told? Wait a little while. It's not time yet. Wait a little while. But now the time has come for God to avenge them uh, and the mistreatment that they have experienced. Now they are satisfied. Justice has come. And then the fourth bowl 
is poured out scorching heat of the sun. And the fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun, and it was given to it to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with fierce heat. Now again, as the fourth angel pours out his bowl upon the sun, God enables the sun's rays to have a scorching effect upon mankind. Now it seems because the phrase is used, it was given to the sun, it indicates that there was nothing inherent in the sun's rays that caused this scorching. Rather, it was God overruling power over the processes of nature that he causes the sun even to burn hotter than normal. Now, it could be as well, in addition to the sun burning hotter than usual, that the ozone layer that protects us now from five deadly rays of the sun, and we've all heard how the ozone layer is breaking down uh, and there are holes in it uh, around the Antarctica, that it could be again that God removes this ozone layer and uh, they get the full harmful rays of the sun. But imagine how it will feel. Now, some of you have been sunburned in here before, and I can look at some of you and figure who you might have been because of your light skin. But even people with darker skin can experience sunburn. I remember the worst sunburn I ever got, I was probably 27, 28 years old. Should have had more sense. But I'd never gotten sunburned before in my life, and so I didn't really wasn't that concerned about it. And I was going out for, uh, I was playing on the men's softball team at the church I was pastoring at the time. And so we had a Sunday, a Saturday morning practice. And so I went out on Saturday morning at about 11 o'clock and I didn't have my shirt on and we were practicing, practiced about three hours. And I don't know why, but I got the worst sunburn on my shoulders that I'd ever gotten in my life. It was so painful I couldn't hardly put a shirt on. I mean, it was miserable. It was awful. You know, there's no pain quite like a burn. But now imagine how painful it's going to be when the sun's heat becomes so fierce. People will be having heat strokes and, and heat waves so tremendous that if there even is electricity and air conditioning, it's not going to be able to keep the heat at bay. And people are going to just be burned uh, and scorched from the heat. Now, picture what unregenerate mankind is going through at this point. Here they are, plagued by malignant sores, ulcers. The stench of dead marine life, only blood to drink, and now being scorched by the intense heat of the sun. Imagine how awful that would be. Yet... They will not repent and turn to God. This shows the hard-heartedness and how stubborn and depraved they are. They even recognize it's God. Verse 9, And men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has a power over these plagues, and they did not repent. So as to give God glory. They knew it was God that was causing it. But they still, in the stubbornness of their hearts, in the evil of their hearts, they will not repent and turn to God. But instead, they blaspheme God. They continue to reject Him. 
And then we have the fifth bowl of God's wrath, which is darkness. Verse 10, And the fifth angel poured out his bowl upon the throne of the beast. Now this plague seems to be centered toward the, the dominion of the Antichrist, but it reaches out throughout the world. And his kingdom became darkened, and they gnawed their tongues because of pain. Now we're not told what causes this darkness or what causes the pain. But evidently it is a darkness that can be felt. And it's accompanied by such intense pain that they gnaw at their tongues. I don't know if you've ever seen anybody gnaw at their tongue because of their pain. Or if you've ever gnawed at your tongue because of your pain, but that's got to be gruesome. You see people just biting down and bloodying up their tongue because their pain is so awful and so intense. But that's exactly what these people will do. Yet, they will not repent and turn to God. Verse 11, they blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. They continue to blaspheme God. Only if they would repent and give God glory. It's not too late to be saved. The only way to God is through the road of repentance. But they are not willing to do so. Then we come to the sixth bowl of God's wrath. The Euphrates River dries up. Prepares a way for the battle of Armageddon. The sixth angel poured out his bowl upon the great river the Euphrates. And the waters were dried up that the way might be prepared for the kings from the east. Now this plague doesn't affect men, rather it sets the stage for the final great battle of Armageddon. How does it do that? You see the Euphrates River is dried up, eliminating that great natural barrier between China and other countries of the east and the Middle East. Now, the Euphrates River is about 1,800 miles long. It places, it's 3,600 feet wide, uh, reaches a depth of 36 feet in many places. It's a great formidable barrier that any army would have to cross if it was going to go into the Middle East. Well, God dries up the Euphrates. Therefore, this barrier becomes a highway to move into the Middle East. It makes possible the movement of great hordes of Chinese troops and perhaps other countries from the east into the Middle East. Now notice we have a strange phenomenon taking place in verse 13. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet, that is the unholy trinity, Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, Three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are spirits of demons performing signs, that is, miracles, which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God the Almighty. These demonic spirits go out from this unholy trinity performing miracles and signs to entice men in this world, to entice mankind, the armies of the world to converge on the Middle East to make war with God that sets the stage for the battle 
of Armageddon. There in the valley of Megiddo. Now John gives a fuller explanation of this in chapter 19, uh, where he describes in more detail the battle of Armageddon, and it is a, in that chapter that we will give more attention to it. Uh, but what I want us to notice in this bowl of God's wrath, it's setting the stage for that battle of Armageddon by making it possible for these armies of the east to gather in the Middle East. Now notice Jesus makes a statement. It's just kind of like it's put in here. It's in parentheses in the New American Standard because it's almost like it's a parenthetical statement that's stuck in here. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his garments lest he walk about naked and men see his shame. Jesus makes this brief statement. He wants his people to keep their correct perspective in the midst of such catastrophic events. He wants them to know the main event is his coming, not the battle of Armageddon. Therefore, Jesus says, be alert, stay awake. He's telling them, his people, to be prepared and walk before him in spiritual diligence. He tells them to persist and persevere in the way of righteousness. Jesus told a parable like this. He says, the master went away and he left his servants there in control. And he says, blessed is the servant whose master finds him doing what he should be doing when he comes back. You remember that? The one that knows what he should be doing and not doing it will receive great punishment. But blessed is the one who does what he's called him to do. And if you will notice, over and over again in Scripture, not only in Revelation, but in other books as well, when end times are mentioned, we're called on as Christians to be diligent, to be alert, to be persistent, to persevere, to walk in all manner of holiness. Uh, we'll see in First Peter uh, in the coming months when he talks about the end times. You know, we're not to think of end times, well, I can relax, it's going to be a while, it doesn't matter what I do. No. Anytime the Bible mentions end times, it calls us to walk, the walk of holiness, to be diligent and persevere in our walk. We don't know when Christ is coming back. And if you die tonight, He's coming back for you tonight. And we never know when that day's coming. So we have to be uh, alert. And we have to persevere. And if you have your schedule of the events to take place before and after the return of Jesus the Messiah, I do want to point your attention in our outline there on Roman numeral 3. We are down at G, the bowls of God's wrath, toward the end of the tribulation. We have seen those first six bowls. We saw saw H, China and other kings of the world begin to move toward the Middle East to wage war. And then we see all the powers of the world gathered together in the Middle East to make war. And then in verses 17 through 21 in chapter 16, John is giving us what's called a proliptic view. He is speaking of something as already happened when it's yet to happen. What he's talking about, I believe, in this seventh bowl of God's wrath is the return of Christ, which encompasses the war of Armageddon. And that's what we see in our outline. 
Uh, again, as we get down to I, J, K, and L, these things are happening real fast. I mean, we're talking about a matter of days and weeks. Uh, the seventh bowl of God's wrath, that's M, one world government is destroyed, Babylon the Great. Now, I'm just going to read for you what John tells us here, but I want you to know it comes in the return of Christ is when this is going to happen. Uh, and I'm jumping a little ahead of the outline because I just want to cover it here. We will look at a little more detail when we get to uh, the battle of Armageddon and Christ's return in Revelation 19. But I do want you to see this just kind of in preparation for it. The seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. Again, this is another way of, of talking about the return of Christ when he defeats the Antichrist and the false prophet and Satan and all those armies gathered against him. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there was a great earthquake such as there has not been since man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it and so mighty. Now this is a such a cosmic, worldwide earthquake, I think what we are seeing here is a changing of the topology of the whole earth, as we'll see. And the great city, and I think he's talking about Jerusalem here, was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and Babylon the Great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. The topography of the world is changing here. And a huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon men, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of hell because its plague was extremely severe. Again, they will not repent. Now, let's look back in verse 19, which says, The great city was split into three parts. I think Zechariah talks about this over in chapter 14 of his book in the Old Testament. I think there are three things that are going to happen in the geography of the world when Christ, in the process of His return, Again, these events that we're looking at in our outline, uh, J, K, L, and M, are compressed. I believe they happen again in a matter maybe of a day, maybe of two days, but they are right here at the same time. All right? And I will talk next week about the uh, rapture of the saints. All right. But look at what's going to be happening here. Zechariah talks about it. As he says, and first, let's look in chapter 12, because as I said on the outline in J, there's going to be a great conversion of the Jews to Jesus Christ right at the point of his return. Look in verse 10. God says, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication." So that they will look on him whom they have pierced. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. 
And they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over the firstborn. And in that day there will be a great mourning in Jerusalem like the mourning of Hadadrimanon in the plain of Megiddo. And the land will mourn every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and their wives by themselves. And then look in verse 1 of chapter 13. In that day a fountain will be opened for the house of David, for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and for impurity. I believe that we see in here a fulfillment of what Paul says over in Romans uh, chapter 11 when Paul says, and all of Israel will be saved. Remember Paul talking about it in Romans 11:26. He says that uh, we've been grafted in temporarily, but God's not through with Israel, but a day is coming that all of Israel will be saved. I believe this is what we're seeing that will happen at Christ's return, and we're seeing it in Zechariah. All those who are living at the time, all the Israelites that are living at that time, I believe there will be a mass awakening, a mass revival. And then the topology of the Holy Land is going to change. Look in chapter 14, beginning with verse 4. When Jesus comes back, He's going to come back where? To the Mount of Olives. And in that day His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem, on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west, and a very large valley... So that half of the mountains will move toward the north, the other half will move toward the south. So we have a big splitting, and I understand that there is a fault that runs through there, even now, God pre-planning, but it's going to split, and there's going to be a tremendous valley, but that's not all that's going to happen. Verse 5, And you will flee by the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains will reach to Azale, yes, you will flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uriah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. That's his return. And it will come about in that day that there will be no light. The illuminaries will dwindle. But it will be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but it will come about that at evening time there will be light. And it will come about in that day that the living waters will flow out of Jerusalem half of them toward the eastern sea, the Mediterranean Sea, and the other half toward the western sea, the Dead Sea. And it will be in winter and summer as well as in winter. So here we have a big split, the Mount of Olives split in the big valley, and then there's going to be living water flowing out of Jerusalem. This arid country is going to see gushes of fresh water that will revitalize that area during the Millennial Kingdom. All right, and we're still going. And the Lord will be king over all the earth in that day. The Lord will be the only one, and His name will be only one. And all the land will be changed into a plain from Geba to Remnon south of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem will rise up and remain on its site from Benjamin's gate as far as the place of the first gate to the corner gate and from the tower of Hananel to the king's winepress. And the people will live in it, and there will be no more curse, for Jerusalem will dwell in security. Now what's going to happen is that Jerusalem is going to be elevated. Now, everything else is going to be made a plain. 
Now, going back to what we saw in chapter 16 of Revelation, what does it say? The mountains will be fled and you won't be able to find any mountains anymore. You won't find any islands anymore. All islands are is top of mountains that's sticking up out, out of the water. So they'll be flattened. So won't have any islands, won't have any mountains. Jerusalem will be the only exalted place on the planet. And from there, Christ will reign. Now, this kind of throws a little wrench in my desire to spend a millennial kingdom in the Swiss Alps. I guess, I'm, <laughs> I guess I'll have to settle for the seacoast now. But anyway, that seems to be what we're seeing here is the earth flattened, going back to a pre-flood condition, some have said. Jerusalem being lifted up above everything, Christ ruling and reigning there. And then in verse 12, again talking about Christ's return, and this will be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people who've gone to war against Jerusalem, all these armies that have gathered around. Their flesh will rot while they stand on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets. Their eyes will rot in their mouth. And it will come about that in that day that a great panic from the Lord will fall on them and they will seize one another's hand and the hand of one will be lifted against the hand of another. And Judah will also fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the surrounding nations will be gathered, gold, silver, and garments in great abundance. So also like this plague will be the plague on the horse and the mule, the camel and the donkey, and all the cattle that will be in those camps. Now some people have interpreted this flesh just evaporating off the bones as being what would happen in a nuclear blast. Uh, don't know. Uh, but when Christ comes back, it's going to be in power, folks. And His Word is more powerful than all the nuclear weapons that we can all put together. Uh, but again, that is the seventh bowl of God's wrath. Includes the Battle of Armageddon. It includes Christ's return. But we're going to look at those in more detail as we continue through the study of Revelation and as we continue the study of end times. Again, next week we'll look at what I think will be the next event, and that's the rapture of the saints. It's preparation for the great battle of Armageddon.